Welcome back to the NY Patriot Show. If this is your first time listening to the show, thank you very much for hitting that play button. Uh, if you like this, I uh, just hit that sub button after you're done listening to this episode because I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. If you are a returning listener, that's what's up. Thank you very much. The best gift I can ask for is just to share it if you enjoy this stuff. Um, today, I'm very happy to have back on I've uh, had her on a few times um, Always a pleasure Always very interesting And just uh, presents her info very well Also, which is a plus um, I have, and in case you haven't heard the prior episodes I know one, which we're actually going to touch on again today We are going to get into If you saw the, the title already Larry Ray Which I have had Roberta on for in the past. Uh, Damien Eccles. I might have had you on like three or four times, actually. I can't remember all of them, but you are definitely a returning returning guest, and I'm very happy to have you back on. Um, And and what I was getting at before, if you have not heard the prior ones, definitely go check those out. Maybe go check those out before you even listen to this and come back. Um, Roberta, would you like to uh, introduce yourself and let everybody know where they can find your stuff? Sure. My name is Roberta Glass. I have the Roberta Glass True Crime Report. I talk about true crime cases from a factual perspective using That's the, a plus. Either, <laughs> right, Especially on YouTube lately. It's just getting right. horrible. Right. <laughs> so I talk about it either from the trial transcripts or um, I go to court. I covered the Ghislaine Maxwell case from, from the courthouse the Larry Ray case, which was fascinating, and um, the Nexium case from the early hearings on to Keith Ranieri's trial. Um, You can find me on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere where there's a podcast, really, or and on my YouTube channel. So that's what it was, Nexium or Nexium, however people say it. That's what I had you on for as well. So that was the other one I was forgetting about, which was just recent, actually. It was the last one we did. Yeah, right. you know which is funny is that um, you've gotten my co-host now like on a on some like mission now with digging into Nixium and Astoria and Waldorf and all that stuff. You said something from that show and you got her stuck on digging into got her stuck. Yeah, yeah it's a Keith Ranieri one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's great, uh, and uh, it's actually it's pretty interesting stuff that I'm hoping maybe within a month or two we'll actually record. I'll have to I'll let you know when we do that. Definitely let me know. But uh, yeah, one of the reasons, or two reasons why I'm having you on the show today, uh, the Larry Ray and Ghislaine Maxwell. Um, I did have you on, like I said, prior to uh, Larry being sentenced. So now he has been sentenced. And I know I did say to you also before recording, um, there may be people now listening to me since then that may not really know the case much. So unfortunately for the listeners that heard you in the past, we're going to touch on the case a little bit before the sentencing. So I guess maybe wherever you're comfortable with starting about um, some okay. of the details of the case, because honestly I had forgotten a lot since then. Myself. Okay, so it happened at my alma mater, Sarah Lawrence College, which is a small liberal arts college known to be, they would call themselves very progressive. Um, Other people might describe them as woke. (laughs) But what happened was Larry Ray had a daughter at the college. He was doing time. I believe that 
was for, um, I think he was doing time at that time for either bail jumping or, um, I am forgetting the words, like when you offend the court, when you're, Oh a yeah. I, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Oh. Help me out. Right. <laughs> right. So Help he went contempt right of something like that. He was doing, <laughs> right. So he went right from prison where he's doing a prison sentence to his daughter's college housing. And the housing that he went to was like a condo. So a group of friends, it's called Slonum, um, Slonum Woods. And it's very much in the center of campus. And it's like a little condo. So a bunch of friends get together and he moved in and he became like a father figure, a psychological Svengali mm. to these kids yeah. And his M.O. was to say uh, to them, oh, so-and-so, you ruined my pan. You scratched my pan. You ruined my possessions. How are you going to make it right? And making it right to Larry Ray always meant handing over cash. So what he did wow, I was... I didn't even he know he got that petty. Wow. Wow, right. So he lived off this money for years. So he... Would he convinced one woman, Claudia Drury, that she had poisoned him and she had also poisoned her family members. And to make it right, she prostituted herself 365 days a year, nonstop, um, made a million point two, a million point two, one point two million dollars for him, handed over every penny she in court, she talked about how she once bought herself uh, Apple iPods and threw them away because she felt she didn't deserve them. And at the end of her time as a prostitute, and the and by accident, the list of her Johns came out. And it was an artist, very high-profile people that she was seeing. She was living in and out of hotels. So near the end of her prostitution um time for Larry Ray, he, he went in. So one of these, what, to go back a little bit, one of his daughter's friends became like a Maxwell to Larry Ray. Her name is Isabella Pollock. Okay. She just took a plea deal and she's going to be sentenced February 22nd. And I'll be covering that as well. Awesome. So Isabella Pollock. So he moved into, not only did he move into his daughter's Sarah Lawrence housing and lived there for months. He also moved into the bed of his daughter's best friend and became like lovers with, with this woman. And so they visited Claudia Drury and one of the was at and tortured her for hours, bound her up, poured um, cold water on her, turned up the air conditioning, hit her, strangled her, suffocated her. And in the middle of this, they got hungry and ordered um, burgers and fries and sat there with her tied up and eating, um, you know, just makes you hungry when you're torturing people and, and wow. ate it in front of her. So that's part of her testimony. And this didn't just happen to Claudia Drury. Santos Rosario was a young man, both Claudia, uh, young man at Sarah Lawrence on a scholarship. He got involved with Larry Ray, handing over money, uh, both he would also orchestrate these mental breakdowns, get into these kids' heads, and both Claudia and Santos had nervous breakdowns at Sarah Lawrence, had to be institutionalized, and their symptoms were exactly the same. 
meaning that they were both afraid that they were going to kill people, hurt people. And Santos Rosario, after he had his breakdown, he never went back. Claudia Drury is very interesting because Sarah Lawrence, when this scandal broke, thanks to a New York Magazine article uh, co-written by Ezra Marcus, who is a Sarah Lawrence alumnus, uh, Sarah Lawrence said, we had no idea that this was going on on our campus and really just pled that they didn't know. Now, there's something about that college that never changes. It's very small and everyone knows everyone's business. If you had a kitten in your dorm room, it would be gone the next day. People would find out. Anything illegal. Um, they were very tough when I was there on having anyone live in your dorm room that wasn't a Sarah Lawrence student. So I don't believe them. And part of why I don't believe them is when Claudia Drury asked to come back after her nervous breakdown, the letter was really written by Larry Ray, was all about Larry Ray and her relationship with this 50-something, he was 52 at the time he moved into Sarah Lawrence, so at the time he had to be 52 or 53, 53-year-old father of her best friend, should have sent alarm bells that they had two students involved with this guy, both having nervous breakdowns with the same symptoms. They get a letter to the administrator saying, let me back in. Uh, my life has improved so much because of my relationship with this 52 or 3-year-old man. So I have some real issues with Sarah Lawrence, and they're not, they didn't attend the trial. Uh, we had lots of alumnus who attended the trial. Uh, so he was, um, he was there on, on multiple, multiple charges of sex trafficking, um, conspiracy, <laughs> um, and he got convicted very quickly. And the jury, I got to talk to the jury for woman, um, it was very interesting. She felt the same way I did about the trial. It was the most incredible trial I've ever attended. And I think it was really the trial I expected Ghislaine Maxwell's trial to be. The government was incredible, um, so organized, well thought out presentation. And the defense team, which was a court appointed defense team, was like three benches deep of, of help for Larry Ray. You looked, the prosecution had nothing. They did a great job anyway, but had a lot, a lot of help, interns, specialists there to help him defend himself. And it was what made it a very interesting trial. Both sides were very strong. And unfortunately, the evidence was just so strong against him. He also videotaped himself abusing these kids. He was physically violent with these, um, I call them kids, but they're young adults with young adults. And he taped all these things, these kind of, I don't know, psychological sessions. And one of the things that came out in the evidence was that he researched mind control and how to do this. He very much wanted to be a cult leader. This was not a case of someone who wanted to do good and it went bad. Uh, he knew what he was doing, and he executed it to have maximum control over these kids' lives. You, you mentioned something about uh, that I thought was just interesting. You mentioned that he had like a lot of people on his defense team, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Was he paying for his own defense? No, or did he no it's court-appointed. Like, if you're in a federal trial in New York, uh, I said to my friends who were at the Ghislaine Maxwell trial, what a waste of money. Same thing with Claire Bronfman and the Nexium trial. Those are both federal trials. If this is an example of the quality of the federal uh, defense attorneys in New York, they're foolish. <laughs> they're so good. They're foolish to spend money. Millions of dollars was spent 
on I think it was 13 million on the Nexium team's defense team, and those had some of the most famous and well-paid lawyers in the country. And I thought that they were that the federal appointed uh, attorneys in Larry Ray's case were just as good, if not better, than those attorneys. Wow, that's wild that they that the guy mm-hmm. that the yeah. state was flipping the bill for all those people. Yep. And they're excellent. They're, I mean, they're excellent. And the amount of help, it's really, I mean, it's great. You want people to have a strong defense, but at the same time, you look at what the, the resources to the prosecution and it, I didn't see them in court. Maybe they're out of court. I don't know. (laughs) You had mentioned something too about basically, I mean, three people that he broke their minds, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Two people, did, yeah. yeah, did they ever like mention um, three people? Actually, you're yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was there uh, ever a time that they like really like they tried to show how they were prior? I, I'm just like I'm not, and I'm not blaming the victims at all. I'm just wondering like how easily uh, suggestible they were. Or did he like really like? Did he find people he knew he could take advantage of, or did he like yeah, really they had break mental health problems in the past of depression? I mean, if you a lot of People have depression in their teens and, um, and early adulthood. It's a difficult time. And he found people who were struggling, like Santos Rosario and Claudia Drury. But from their from their victim impact statements, their life was great before they met Larry Ray. Um, sure same with Dan Levin. You know, basically they said, I was so happy. I was at Sarah Lawrence. I was enjoying my friends. I was in college. Uh, and then I met my friend Talia's father, and everything changed for them. I mean, the amount of control he had over their lives was really, really troubling. And the fact that Sarah Lawrence says, I mean, what I didn't understand before his sentencing hearing was how extensive his uh, rap sheet was, how much time he had done. He had been in and out of prison since he was 18 years old, started with a gun charge. Actually, I don't think he did time when he was 18, but he was in trouble with the law since. Yeah. So he got in trouble with the law in 18 and when he was 18, and it just, I think he had uh, three or four prison um, bids before going to going right from prison to Sarah Lawrence College. And the fact that they say that they're a 52-year-old bald, this guy does not look young. No. Middle-aged, paunchy guy didn't stick out on a Sarah Lawrence campus is absurd. Maybe they thought he was like a janitor. <laughs> like a... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm really, I'm really angry at the college for that. I really feel that I've listened to interviews with Dan Levin, who was a victim of Larry Ray, who's written a book called Sloanham Woods Nine about it. He feels that Sarah Lawrence isn't responsible, and I totally disagree. I think that's a young person's view of it. When you get older, you realize that uh, the college is responsible for these young adults' safety. They're not really adults yet. You realize how young you were when you were 19, 20 years old, and they had, uh, they had a responsibility to keep their students safe. No, I agree with that. That's like, it's, it's really like an, it's like a scapegoat answer. I don't like that. Oh, like, what are you on? Terrible. the colleges aren't it? Come on. And we heard Larry Ray celebrate. <laughs> I mean, it's on their property, right? It was in Idaho. Yes, right in the middle. I mean, it's not off campus somewhere. This is mm. on Sarah Lawrence campus. You couldn't miss him. <laughs> I just People knew each other's business. It, that doesn't change about that college. There's about 
When I was there, there was a 940 students. It's not a lot. It's, it may sound like it, but it's actually not. No. no. I mean, that's like a few blocks in New York City. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. In New York, even in Queens, that's, a, that's not a lot of people at all. You know, if they didn't know up to Claudia Drury's letter, they knew when she wrote that letter that 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 the students were intimately involved with with uh, Larry Ray. So now I uh, I did I did see it when it happened, but I I forgot since I looked at it. How much time did he end up getting now? That's about sixty years, which is interesting. And I'm going to about to do a deep dive into this. These are both federal cases that didn't end with death. So Trump passed a law called the um, First Step Act, and actually Ghislaine Maxwell mentioned it in her interview. So it means that if you are over a certain age, and I believe it's 50 or 55, and you're in prison, and your crime did not result in death, you are you have a path to release to... Um, as early as 40% of your sentence. So after you do 40% of your sentence, which would be eight years for Ghislaine Maxwell, you have a path to early release, depending on good behavior, et cetera, et cetera. So it's very, when you go to these sentencing hearings, like the Maxwell sentencing hearing or the Larry Ray, you realize how specific, how thoughtful these judges are when they give these sentences. And to have the government say, oh, we're just going to throw in a law here and it applies to everyone of this certain thing. Like Larry Ray should never get out. No, he I was thinking court. like that's like a really he good outfit. He about how, he, how his parents died. Oh, one of the other things about the Larry Ray trial that was so amazing was that he, it was delayed three de- separate times by Larry Ray having these very <laughs> suspicious seizures that always totally. happened at the breaks, never happened during testimony. <laughs> I mean, one time was so dramatic. They kicked everybody out of court. They wouldn't even let us go back in and get our coats. We saw we saw a gurney being wheeled in. We ran outside, and that's the famous footage of him on the gurney kind of like, you know, I think he's play acting, but being taken to the hospital. And at that time, that was the third time that happened. And I believe, my feeling is, it's just I have delay, no proof right? of this, but the judge probably told him if this happens again, the trial will go on without you, and it never happened again. But in trial, he said that he had been to nine doctors, and no one could find, no one could give him a diagnosis, and he was he was suffering from bad eyes, oh, eyesight that came and went, uh, ringing in his ears, like all these like very um, hard to pin down. <laughs> uh, Symptoms uh, ringing in his ears, and uh, so you know he says that he's suffering, and the the taxpayers are picking up that dime. So he has a way out. Um, I believe Ghislaine Maxwell has a way out through this first step act, and it's very scary when you realize how they were given their sentence for a reason. And if she's out after eight years, I don't think so. I think it's too high profile. I think. They'd get a lot of pushback if she was released after eight years. But if Larry Ray is released when he's 80, he still is a danger. And that's one of the things that was said is that he will never age out of his criminality. He, you know, he's totally criminal. And, he, and when he spoke, he spoke all about how his father, stepmother, and stepfather had all died within the same week. It was basically poor me. Poor me, poor my bad health. He didn't mention the victims. Now, his defense team says that he can't, which is not really true. 
he can say that he's sorry for their feelings. He doesn't have to take responsibility because he's appealing. That's the defense logic is that he's appealing and he can't show any remorse, but he can show empathy and he can show sympathy and he showed none of that. No one, he mentioned no one else in his speech besides Larry Ray. It was a meathon, a complete <laughs> self-obsessed speech and really shows how he, he has no remorse or no empathy for anybody but himself. Yeah, so he would be, yeah, he'd still be, he'd still be able to. That's weird with that law. When, when did do you know when that law passed? I didn't even know about. No, that. I don't. I want to say 2018, but I'm not certain. Yeah, close to the end of Trump's sentence. I believe. I mean, sentence. <laughs> close to the end of his term. Sentence term. Yeah, I believe, but I'd have to double check. Yeah. Because that doesn't that doesn't work out too. I mean, that's like a really easy way out for. I mean that's a lot of yeah. a lot of crimes, but I would say like sexual crimes. I mean for people that may have a mental illness that will never go away, that's interesting. Right. Like you're just letting them back out a lot faster if someone says okay. There's no real discussion in this country about psychopathy, and I be- my feeling is is because the progressive left doesn't recognize psychopathy because no. their ideology is that everybody with enough love and enough care can rehabilitate themselves and that is not true for psychopaths there is no cure for psychopaths i believe glenn maxwell is one i believe larry ray is one and they're very dangerous so these kind of laws and they're also embraced by the republicans they the public seems to like these seems to like these anti-mass incarceration laws you know uh they do it for popularity and it's very concerning uh because they're blind, they they just apply everything to everybody equally, and these cases are very specific, and their crimes are very specific, and their sentencing is very specific. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a little bit of a difference. Like if you're gonna knock off some time for a dude who like maybe got caught with like, you know, or, a couple of pounds yeah. of weed, or something. right? Exactly. You know, or, or you know maybe even worse, you know, a couple of kilos of coke, but still, like I mean, that's whatever it is, what it is. But then you got somebody who's like a pedophile or sex trafficker. You know, that's just, <laughs> I don't know. That's different. Mm-hmm. Me. It's, it's, it's concerning. I, I have not, I may be entirely wrong. This may be a crime that isn't covered under this act, but Ghislaine Maxwell said in her interview that she's dealing with people all day long who want to know about this first step act in her federal prison. And she's helping them find information and finding how their good behavior can take off time. So it is a, a big reform to our criminal justice system. I wonder if that is something, uh, do you know offhand? And then I guess we'll move on. I'll stop talking about the law or whatever. But um, do you know offhand, like, if is that something that the judge has to include, like, in sentencing that they're eligible no, for that, it, or they could just go for it themselves? No, it, it happens after sentencing. So once they're sentenced, once they're in prison, they have a way out, depending on their time, blah, 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 okay, blah. Okay, I got you, yeah. To get out and to start getting parole hearings, which are incredibly re-traumatizing to the victims and the victim's family, these parole hearings. Gotcha. No, I just know that sometimes uh, some things like, I mean, I guess you can still do it without a judge's recommendation. It's just sometimes if the judge recommends it, it's like almost like a sure end. I wasn't sure how Yeah, how that would be works. better if the judge recommended it because then we know they were familiar with the case. These are people who are parole, you know, or parole boards are, uh, 
are familiar with the case in, in only the amount of work that they do, and they see a lot of people. Yeah. So how familiar can they really no, get yeah, with right. the case? Yeah. You hope that they'll, they're working very hard to familiarize themselves with every detail, but I don't know if that's even possible in their job. Oh, that's a really good point, too. You're seeing way too many people. It's, they're yeah. just like numbers and probably a couple of pages that they look over. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now with the, the Galene Maxwell, that I have not been able to check out. I actually don't think I met, or maybe I heard about it right before you had sent me something about it. I think you emailed me first, right, with it, maybe? Yeah, the yeah. German Congo interview, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so what what is uh, up with that? I have seen it's it recently first, on TV, too. They've been, like, showing her again on TV. It's the first interview with Ghislaine Maxwell from her cushy federal prison in Florida, where she is. She is best friends with a killer, which I found very interesting. I'm forgetting her last name, Dottie, whatever. <laughs> who's killed, who killed her, I believe she killed her stepmother and her husband. That's Ghislaine Maxwell's bestie in prison. And wow. she talked about, it was a really awful interview, and Jeremy Kyle was criticized for even giving her a platform, which I think is a fair criticism. She talks, it was like a poor me thing. Um, she has a vegetarian diet. I had heard she was vegan before she got in, before she got arrested. And uh, I was hearing about the moldy eggs she was eating in New York jail awaiting trial. And I thought she looked great in court. So I was like, maybe that's her beauty secret, that moldy egg. Give me some of that moldy egg. But <laughs> she talked about how she's been given tofu for breakfast or cereal and a piece of fruit and how sad it is that she has to make her bed a certain way. And if she doesn't make her bed a certain way, she gets a shot. And then she went after Virginia Giuffray. And this is the biggest problem I have with this interview is that there was really no one on the other side to defend themselves. <laughs> they didn't show the other side. She's saying that the photo, it's really kind of interesting Maxwell's arguments, very much the same argument that was given at her trial, which was she was just a victim as much as any of these victims. She fell under Epstein's spell. She is being tried because Epstein is no longer here. She's the fall person for Epstein. That was her. It didn't work with the jury. I don't think it works with the American public. That was her, her argument in this interview. She said, I wish I never met him. But she had multiple. That I heard seen on TV. I heard right. And she was also intimidating witnesses, making sure I mean victims, making sure that they didn't talk to authorities. She was very involved in this. She was not a victim in any way, shape, or form. And for her to say that she has no memory of Prince Andrew and Virginia Giuffre going to trance is very interesting. She has no memory. That means it could have happened or it could have not have happened, right? But she's saying that her non-memory of it absolutely proves it didn't happen and that Virginia's memory is faulty. Talk about the kettle <laughs> calling the other kettle black. I mean, the pot black uh, yeah. in this. You know, if she has no memory, then how can she say, how can she how criticize can you say it did or didn't happen, yeah. memory? It doesn't make sense. There's no logic to it, but they throw these kind of things out there. They kind of sound good at the time. There's never been original of the of the picture. Really? Really? My understanding is that the FBI has the original and that they verified it as a real picture. And it, isn't it funny if it's a fake picture? How did they get upstairs in your London flat, Elaine? 
how did they get an exact replica of you, of your London uh, apartment? Yeah, no, that's a good point. <laughs> I have thought of that. Yeah, it's like even if like I don't know if something's supposedly photoshopped. Well, how did they even get the whole surrounding? I have thought right. of that before myself. I'm like something's real the, about it. At least <laughs> they're inside. And our- there was lots of inaccuracies in this uh, in this piece. For one. Uh, Kyle claimed that Virginia Roberts, Guju Frey claimed that Prince Andrew threw up on her. I've never heard that. Um, I my memory is that she said he sweated all over her. Yeah, that maybe, I, remember, I thought yeah. maybe he was getting that confused. There was also one other thing that I can't remember that was wrong um, in that interview. Hopefully, I'll remember it by the <laughs> end of that interview, uh, end of this interview. But there were inaccuracies in that. Oh, here it is. It was about. Virginia Giuffre and her, the lawsuit. So Alan Dershowitz had a lawsuit against Virginia Giuffre. Virginia Giuffre had a counter lawsuit, uh, had a lawsuit against Dershowitz, and they settled. What Jeremy Kyle said is that a judge threw it out, which is very different, meaning a judge threw it out because it had no merit. No, those two (laughs) decided someone got paid probably Virginia Giuffre, and it to, to go away, just like Prince Andrew's case was settled. Virginia Giuffre's lawsuit was settled. In fact, it supports Virginia Giuffre's story. And <laughs> Kyle made it seem like Virginia Giuffre's story was so ridiculous against Alan Dershowitz it was thrown out, and that really bothered me. Do you think anything will ever... You know, one of the weird things I find about this case is, like, if she's been considered, like, guilty, then what's up with all these people that she was trafficking to? I don't think they'll ever go after it. We, I think what I saw in court, and I say this reluctantly because what happened in the Maxwell case was that the very experienced prosecutor, Audrey Strauss, quit four months before Ghislaine Maxwell. She was going to try this case. Four months before the case, um, she quit. So what was left was a very young prosecution team that looked lost, that looked demoralized. They were up against this multi-million dollar defense team, and they barely squeezed out a um, conviction, in my opinion. Uh, the p- other people who went to trial when they felt the same similarly Everyone but New York Nadia, who felt the (laughs) government was amazing. Everyone felt that they were just barely squeezing out. They could barely squeeze out a conviction, that it could go either way. It was very close. Uh, The the jury seemed to just absolutely be mesmerized by Elizabeth Loftus, who was the defense witness, and her credentials. And luckily, it didn't go that way. But just, I really expected to see the kind of prosecution team that I saw at the Larry Ray case and the Maxwell case. Instead, I saw someone, they were overworked um, and just demoralized. That's the only word I can use is demoralized. They seemed unhappy to be there, overworked and 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 outspent. Uh-huh. So I don't know what happened there. I wonder if they were given the resources. Did they ask for extra time? Were they not ready because of COVID? I have no idea what happened there, but something is going on with uh, with the <laughs> I thought something was going on with those with the government team in the Maxwell case. 
I think, I mean, uh, did you ever wonder if they didn't quit and were just told this? Like, you're not Maybe. This. I mean, there's right. a lot of powerful right. people connected. And I scoffed at the time. You know, also stuff just happens. You know, it's a very disorganized. Um, it seems like that office is having problems in the Southern District of New York right now. I don't know. They've been through a lot of different um, heads. And I don't know. Or DA Bragg certainly is doesn't seem seems to very much to be one of these woke prosecutors. And when that happens, I, I can imagine um, the team under him gets very demoralized. That's interesting. I actually didn't know anything about uh, about the switching. I had no idea. Yeah, it's That's weird really that weird. nobody talks about it except maybe me. Yeah, <laughs> no, I've never, I'm like I'm like I'm surprised I haven't seen like a meme about this. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. Look up Audrey Strauss, Ghislaine Maxwell. Up to then, she did the press conference. You would think that that, but maybe the mainstream press didn't see it the way I saw it. But I thought that they looked very, very demoralized and just doing the minimum to to get it done. But you know what? They won. So. I was actually minimum very, work, but I mean, I was surprised and wasn't because I was just like, you know, I could just see that somehow her being considered not guilty. So when it yeah, did, I it actually did come out. I was like, oh wow! Like I, I, I kind of almost expected her to, but I was not surprised if she didn't. So and then we have the issue of this juror fifty, who went in as an activist juror. Really, he claimed that he. I saw his he hearing. They had a special hearing just on this issue because Ghislaine Maxwell's team was saying they had an unfair trial because this guy basically wanted to get on the Maxwell, <laughs> wanted to be a juror on the Maxwell case, lied to get on it. And he said he just didn't read the questions right. And I didn't really believe him. And, um, and I found it very annoying because so much time and effort was spent to make sure that that trial was done by the letter and to have a, kind of a activist juror on the thing was kind of sad to like, see the process corrupted in my opinion. Uh, but see that, I didn't know you know, it's, up, it's also up to Ghislaine Maxwell's team to weed out those kind of jurors. So, and like what now when you say like activists, was it like someone who's going to be like, he, pro he, had been, or? he had, had been sexually abused himself and had very strong feelings about <laughs> this. Oh, and he argued very strongly for a strong prison sentence. Now, you can call that not an activist. You can call that mm -hmm. a juror with experience. But they were trying to throw out jurors who were sexually abused to uh, get rid of any kind of bias. Bias, yeah, no, I, I get that. Wow, so that person got through. I'm surprised. Yep. And I figured if anything, they'd want sympathizers. sympathizers. He was right in front of me at the sentencing, too. I thought, I thought that was interesting. Really? Mm -hmm. Wow. I, th I think it's great when the jurors come back. I mean, I talked with the Larry Ray trial. I talked to the jury forewoman, and she had the oh, same Oh, is that how you got to speak did. to them? It was from seeing them at the sentencing? I saw, I knew, I, saw, I caught, there was, it was, the Larry Ray trial was done in a very small courtroom. There's going to be a Hulu uh, documentaries coming out about the Larry Ray and his um, victimization of the students at Sarah Lawrence on February 9th on Hulu. But so I hope it will be more well known after the Hulu documentary comes out, but it was tried in a very small courtroom 
So I caught, I made eye contact with this <laughs> juror all the time. They would come in and come out and there would just be us, the few of us standing there watching the trial. And I got to speak to her. I said, you were a juror. I recognized her. And we, and she said, yes. And I said, eventually I figured out she was a jury for a woman. She said it was the most amazing trial. She looked forward to coming <laughs> to court every day. She would never miss it. And I felt the same way. It was the most uh, fascinating trial I've ever covered, bar none. I mean, even some of the things you had said before that I didn't know so specifically, I was like, I could see how people, I mean, I guess once you get past, like, what actually happened, I mean, it is very interesting. I didn't know, like, that guy was really that good at, at I mean, he made somebody sell the, sell themselves for that long. Wow. That long, yeah. That long. And that much and, money. And absolutely be in fear. She talked in her, she didn't come to court. She had her former lawyer who said, I'm here representing Claudia Drury as a friend, which I thought was really nice, uh, read her victim impact statement. And in her victim impact statement, um, she said that she would go to bed every night afraid that her her family would die because she had poisoned them. And Larry Ray would call her and pre- and sort of make this fear stronger in her. Oh. He knew to call her at night. I mean, he really knew these these his victims and his victims' minds very well and manipulated them to the fullest. It's very sad. Yeah, that's what I was just like, yo, it makes somebody be able to believe that stuff and do that. Like you have to like, I don't know, neither know what you're doing or just be relentless. I, I don't It's just like Keith Ranieri. I mean, it's like the <sighs> same like guy over Ultra and over again. Starving these women. Um encouraging them to sleep with strangers and to tape it and to send them the video. He was always, he also had a website up about Claudia Drury and her imagine and this fictitious poisoning of people up that he would put up and take down depending on her cooperation. Oh my God. So it was all about blackmail. Yeah. And the, and so was Doss. And so was Nexium and Doss was all about blackmail giving collateral having Keith Ranieri hold that collateral. Yeah. This guy had a website that he would just turn on and off just to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Claudia, I think it was Claudia Drury.com or whatever, something like that with her name being the address in the address. Now, when they covered that in the court case, I mean, did they even look into if he was the one who designed it? I mean, I know that's like silly, but it's like, you know, maybe somebody else designed that. I'm not saying that they're really I think going what along I remember, with it. But. It doesn't mean that what I remember off the top of my head was that they had him buying the domain. They found his okay. receipt for buying the domain. So mm. whether he actually made the site or, or had someone else make, make it, these kind of cult leaders are notoriously lazy. Yo, that's why I was thinking you probably had somebody work, else right? do that. Right. Mm-hmm. Possibly, yeah. And one of um, Santos Rosario's sister was his kind of second wife (laughs) next to Isabella Pollock. And she was an Ivy League educated doctor who forgo, who who, uh, just dropped her career as a doctor in order to be his live in what kind of common law wife. And um, she was, luckily, she turned on him right. his father, who just died, would called her right before the trial and intimidated her and said, you know, it's very important to be loyal to Larry Ray and this stuff. 
His father looked like an extra from The Sopranos, like New Jersey mob-connected guy. Really <laughs> unbelievable. Sopranos. So what do you think is going to happen now uh, with the, you know, sorry, I'm like having like a brain fart. His daughter was involved in this too. You just said that before. She was an unindicted co-conspirator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was an interesting thing. Thank you for bringing that up. That was an interesting thing that came up about his hearing, uh, sentencing hearing, is that they, the defense team, uh, one of the defense members, Martin Lennox, stood up and said, Your Honor, no one's here for Larry Ray today. There's no one in the courtroom here. And because everybody's dead, everyone died over the vacation. And they didn't mention that his daughter Talia is still alive. Where is Talia Ray? Why didn't she show up? Obviously, it must scare either they're in contact and it scares her to be uh, in a federal court building because she's an unindicted co conspirator, or they've had a break because of this. I don't know. Hmm. It went unexplored. It was interesting, though. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, she's a, she was working for one of these woke uh, or justice organizations, which I found very interesting. Mm-hmm. Did it have any ties to the... Pro-criminal, pro-killer, pro-rapist organizations. That's what I would call them. Oh, they call right. themselves a, a criminal justice oh, It's like the people going around trying to like let out Damien Eccles. Right, exactly. <laughs> really dangerous and deranged. And it seems like the more dangerous and deranged see Purvis Payne, see that case, uh, check out any of the episodes on my channel about innocence fraud. They seem to go after, seem to like to free the most dangerous and deranged. Part of that is because they like to free people on death row. And if you get the death penalty, you've done some of the worst crimes and you're one of our most dangerous offenders. You know, I think there's a show that I have seen a few times. I haven't watched it too much, but I think it's just based on like people, people like in the law thing, trying to get people out of death row and actually out. I think there's actually oh, yeah? a show based on that. Yeah. Yeah. And like some of them, I, and I was funny. The thing is, is I was like, even thinking, I think I'd even said to my wife, I was like, but like, what? I know this person has been claiming they've been innocent the whole time. <laughs> but like, <laughs> they what like if they thing. actually are guilty? <laughs> they never consider that. They always say <laughs> he's maintained his innocence. Like, like, and, like no crap, dude. And they all do. They all maintain their innocence. All. All these I, I will tell criminals you, maintain their innocence. I'll tell you they're, right. If, and if they didn't maintain their innocence, they made a plea deal and they're getting out and there's no need for the innocence project. Mm. So it's you funny know, though. It's funny. It's interesting in um, cases like um, Ryan Ferguson, which has been pushed as the dream killer case. That guy is so guilty, but his co-killer testified against him. <laughs> so he got out. Um, on this really ridiculous Brady violation thing. It's so, like, basically on a technicality. But his co-killer sat in prison for years. He was just released. And nobody says, like, well, what about the other guy? If this guy is innocent, then his co-killer has to be innocent, too. What's stopping him from being let out? (laughs) No, the press never kind of deals with it. So I mean, there was, I mean, like, I'll even say from my own experience, maybe I... You probably have no idea, but I did do like two years in federal prison myself. Mm-hmm. And like, I can, like, there was, of course, people that you come across, oh, you know, I'm innocent, you know, I shouldn't be here, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, you get like a, and I'll, I'll use like this as an example because I had seen it numerous times. The, you know, the place that I was at was loaded with pedophiles, loaded mm-hmm. with them. 
And uh, there was like, you couldn't even check them into the shoe because there was too many of them. The shoe would be filled and they'd still be all over the place. So they just like walked around like it was like normal. And like you'd have some where they like swore they're innocent. But it's like, yo, you hang out with all of them. You, you play magic cards with all of them. You trade comic books with all of them. You're right, playing, you, you play, it? literally, these dudes are out playing Dungeons and Dragons out in the yard. And I'm like, exactly. you hang out with all of them, but you're swearing you're innocent, dude. Come on. <laughs> I know, and it's interesting. In these kind of social justice organizations, there are a lot of people, what, what I hear you saying is it's common sense. But a lot of these people who volunteer for these social justice organizations are very young, haven't been out in the world, haven't lived life, have no street <laughs> smarts whatsoever, and they believe these these con artists and criminals and killers. So I think that it's really a movement. I talk about innocence fraud a lot, but I believe it's really a movement for, for young people and there are some older people who I believe are just going to always be pro-criminal. We'll always see the government as the man holding, no matter how dangerous and deranged the criminal is, always holding the little guy down. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, I mean, we know that Damien Eccles is the man. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like, he's the man holding other people down, victimizing people. He's the person to be really afraid of, um, but that's how they see it. They see it as... Uh, you know, the government's always going to be squishing. Oh, well, that's how they even do it on the show that I have seen a couple of times. They just make it seem mm -hmm. like that the justice system is so like, you know, screwed up. You know, we got to fix it. You know, all these people, <laughs> you know, whatever. You know, the way that they try to like, I guess, hit your emotions, you know, very liberal. Are you going to complain about the tofu being very bland during your time in federal? <laughs> did you I, have the tofu? I, I was there because I did something wrong. <laughs> You admitted it. So did you? Did, she said there wasn't salt and pepper. Was did they salt and pepper your food in the? Oh no, you got to do that yourself. It was even uh -huh. funny. There was something you had mentioned. Oh, about the the she bed. The bed there was being... no salt and pepper in the entire prison. Oh uh, well, I mean they give you packets of it, but uh, you that's even... what I thought. Right, thank yeah. you. <laughs> you even mentioned something like, about that like sounds awfully hard to believe that the, they don't have salt and pepper in prison. The bed being made like. The way your bed has to be made, it's just like, you know, they basically just want your sheets tucked in. It's like, and I've never seen anybody enforce it, honestly, to tell you the truth. So right. I'm like, yo, when you said that, I was like thinking in my head, I'm like, if she even had to make it, it might take you a total of a minute to do it to their standards. And I'm like thinking, I'm like, I never remember a CO actually ever saying anything unless it was like somebody who was constantly being like an issue to them. Regardless if they're really being an issue or if the cop is being a dick. Cons mm -hmm. You know, it was never something they just like, oh, yeah, we're going to check. No, they, they did it like if you were a dick or just never said anything. So when you mentioned mm -hmm. that, I was like, you know, I highly doubt they're getting on a case about her bed. And they also said that Larry Ray was tortured in prison during COVID. He, did, he didn't have access to exercise stuff. I mean, it was just really, it really uh, beyond the pale. It was really hard with the victim sitting in the back row crying. And it was really hard to feel sorry for Larry Ray and his COVID prison time or jail time. I think that was jail time, no, prison time, jail time. Mm -hmm. And what did you say is, I think you mentioned something else was coming up too soon, right? In February. Oh, it's Isabella, uh, Isabel Pollock, who was Talia Ray's best friend who Larry Ray, she was like the Maxwell to Larry Ray. Um, at first she, at first everyone thought she was a victim when this news story broke. 
and she gave interviews like or quotes like she was a victim but then um she got charges it turns out she was much more involved and much more complicit than anyone ever knew i thought i almost got away and she i was really looking forward to her trial i was never so depressed as the day she pled out i missed it I would have run down there. Had oh, I, known. I think you I had mentioned found that out after the fact that she pled out. I'm the last person to know. I was so sad because I was really looking forward to another great trial. Did so she plead out? She pled out. Larry? I will go to her sentencing. I'd like to see her in person. She's been a kind of ghost figure in this case. Yeah. Because um, I don't think I really kind of an enigma. It. Yeah. What's what what went on with her? And I'd like to hear what she has to say. So right. I, I would be going. Um, I don't. I I'd probably be reporting on it. You know, there's. Not a lot of interest in the Larry Ray trial, but I try to report on it just so it's there for the few people who are interested. No, I, I find it interesting, and not to get into a whole other, I guess, crime or to get too conspiratorial rabbit hole. I, I do find it interesting just because of even the Idaho 4 case. I know Ooh. this may sound weird, but I, I do honestly think there's a good possibility something was going on in that house than they're actually talking about. That's just my opinion. There what might do you have mean been something going uh, on in that drugs house? or prostitution or some kind of weird shit. I, I don't believe that that house was just this. I don't know. I just think it's something's odd, right? very mm-hmm. weird. It's almost, mm-hmm. I don't want to sound too crazy. I mean, I, I do think it could be as plainly as it is, but sometimes I do wonder, like, was this like some cleanup kid? You know, some right. kid was that was used a, to clean up there, something oh, that, like, oh, okay. a, a project's I, I, done. Down and that, with... but I wonder everybody's so good-looking. and That's what I was I, getting at. It's like you almost right. handed us reality TV people as right. the victims. Not, and I'm not denying it. You know, it, it's probably real. And, you know, it should never have happened. It just seems very weird to me. <laughs> I think it's very weird. I think, that, I think what was bothering me about that story is very much like the Chris Watts story. What made this guy snap? Like yeah. that, he was like a normal, great go. Oh, and then he went to school for all this stuff, and it's literally, like Jamie and up he didn't snap, right? Uh, he was a psychopath. He's a psychopath. He didn't snap. Let's have a discussion about psychopathy. It'll never happen in this country. It yeah. is absolutely denied uh, as uh, existence. Even the people who are like forensic psychologists, they'll they'll come out with the most ridiculous stuff to justify these. People's uh, actions, you know, uh, Keith Ablo came out. Remember him? He had a big Me Too scandal. He no. was a he's a TV psychiatrist. Do you remember Keith Ablo? No, no. no. He came out. He's trying to have a comeback him. after like he had a million patients. Me Too him, and he had to pay them out. Um, settled. He settled just like Prince Andrew. <laughs> Prince Andrew did, and Maxwell did. Um, Civilly. Uh, so anyway, he came out and said, oh, this killer killed in this Idaho case because he looked too far deep into the chasm and the chasm or the abyss. The abyss looks into you. It's like, you didn't look too far into the abyss. He was the abyss. <laughs> He's a psychopath. What? I just. He was the abyss. Right. I think Keith Ablo may be a psychopath or have some massive narcissistic problems with the amount of people he's victimized. He's no one to comment on this story, but mm. they find these people and they run with it. What can I say? Yeah, yeah I just—I actually have somebody uh, coming on this week to cover the, that Idaho four case too. It's very interesting. Yeah, I just yeah something I don't know what it is. You know, I, you know, and like I'm just like the type of person that will like look at small little things and like you know be like, what was that about? Because like I think there was <laughs> even a point where I think the cops even admitted when they got him. 
one of the first things he says was, was anybody else arrested? Yeah, that is so very people interesting. Like, What's up with that? <laughs> and he doesn't look like a kind of guy who would have <laughs> help, right? I don't. But, know. And his dad is so weird. I don't know. There's so many weird. And things then there about was even like case. a. I think one of the children's fathers had said something that he thought the cops were being uh, cowards about the case. Right, but he and should it's like, be you know, dissatisfied. Who, oh yeah, right. but it's just like you know why did you know you could take that so many ways, but. I you think know, he's I made know. his piece with the cops now, but they were pretending like they didn't have leads. They were putting out false information in the press that they didn't have a lead, that they had no idea who it was all the time that they're they're tracking this guy, pulling him over. Those yeah. are great videos of um, him being pulled over with his dad. Oh, yeah. It's very interesting. I mean, you could do a whole episode just on those videos. Did you see but, the videos? Yeah, so I think people were rightfully dissatisfied with the cops when we're getting information that they have no idea, they have no suspects, no clue which is not true. Yeah. I hope everything was done by the letter. I hope that this guy is very dangerous and I hope that he gets put away forever, if not given the death penalty. Oh, well, I, I looked up something yesterday, I think because his, uh, the discovery or maybe the asking or something to do with the discovery came out Mm -hmm. and there is a lot of evidence that's going to be handed over. Like, I think it was like almost 3000 things and that's not all of it. You know, so it's interesting, yeah. and they're asking, um, and I did see lawyers say just because it's in this doesn't mean it's necessarily true, but they did ask for any evidence of co-defendants uh, co or uh, informants. So if there is any, I guess we'll find out, but it doesn't mean that there is because they ask for that technically, you know. Right. So, but yeah, yeah. that's true. That's true. So right. it might, might get interesting, or it might just be case closed. This kid's nuts. He did this on his own. I hope the trial isn't isn't broadcast. I hope it doesn't become um, entertainment. Yeah, um, that's why I, I was even to, getting I used out. I think it was crime. great that these trials were broadcasted, and that everyone would learn about the justice system the same way you learn when you go to court. But they don't. <laughs> they don't learn anything. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think. And I think it just gets to be, you know, entertainment, and it's a really somber, serious thing. Trial. Mm. Oh, if there's a trial, there's going to be so many YouTube channels getting those super chats and raking the money over that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's another I don't thing. I making money, yeah. but it's just... You know, you, do you know what it is? I think some job and have some respect for the victims and the victims' families. That's okay. I I could totally agree with that. The ones that I was like saying, you know, picking on, or ones that will like think that they're solving the it's solving the case and making up these crazy outlandish stories. Right. They, and it's like right. almost like you're feeding the people bullshit and you're making, it's just, you're disrespecting the people, honestly. That I were the interviewed a, a prosecutor, uh, he's known as King of the Cold Cases, John Lewin. He's, I think, one of the greatest prosecutors of all time. He's amazing in court. And he said to me, um, the interview, I did, actually, there's like, I did three episodes with him. Found him fascinating. And he said, I never want a actor or actress on my on my jury. And I said, Well, why why not? And he said, Because they always want the unusual. <laughs> He's like, and that's what I think with these YouTube channels. They want the unusual. They want the salacious story. Yeah, He's like, yeah. I just want the jury to look at the evidence that's presented in court and make a decision. That's what I want. And actors and actresses are the worst for for going outside the confines of the evidence. Well, they're sticking to the script. <laughs> That's what they're used to. Yeah, yeah they got these imaginations. They have a lot of emotions, and their emotion takes them uh, takes them into uh, not so good places when 
you really need to be very rational and look at the evidence mm -hmm. and look if it meets, uh, you know, the standards. It would be very logic and statistical. Yeah, logical yeah. and and dis disengaged in some ways. Oh yeah, almost like part like disassociate yourself to an extent. Totally. I'd be a terrible. I don't think I'd be a great juror. I'd love to do it, but I don't think I'd be a great juror. I get That'd very emotional in court, so I don't. I don't think I'd be a, a good person, and I don't think I'll ever be chosen. I think. Uh, yeah. I think my my podcast <laughs> disqualifies me. Well, I think the last time they sent me something to. Be a juror. I think I sent them like my conviction papers. I was like, I'm a felon. You can't ask me. So I haven't, I haven't gotten any. Trying to get rid of those laws. Yeah, they're working very hard. Oh well, they can keep those. Get rid of those laws. <laughs> I know, right? Good for you. You right? You can't vote, right? Either. Uh no. You know what's you know what's funny. <laughs> Not that I would probably even bother now because I just I I don't know. But uh, it was great how at last last election a dem Democrat. <laughs> governor put in a law that allowed me to vote for a Republican president. <laughs> right. I know. Right. See, they want, they want their, they think you're going to all vote democratic. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was thinking too. I was like, you pissed that thinking I'd vote for you and it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. But yeah, uh, in New York. Yeah. I think Cuomo at some point put something through that allowed felons to be able to vote. So, I mean, I wasn't violent anyway. So, I mean, it is, it is, <laughs> Yeah. He's pardoning a cop killer, you know, that weather underground terrorist, Chesa Boudin's dad on the way out of out of office. What a scumbag. Wow, Yo, guy. he just got, he just got, I couldn't believe it too. Uh, he just got the, uh, I think a judge uh, settled on that the state is responsible for his uh, lawyer fees now for fighting, uh, I guess, like the sexual misconduct stuff. POS. Yeah, I was like, yo. <laughs> He really I was is like, he probably did it, and he just got to state pay for his defense. Yeah, yeah. Like, like our tax money just paid for you to get out of court for free. I, I know a little bit. I can't say free. how, but I know a little bit more about that case than the rest of the American public. And that guy is a, he's very much like Keith Ranieri and very much like Larry Ray. That's what it reminded me of. Wow. All right, well, I don't think I don't think even the <laughs> the press really has the understanding, of course, of control to really know how evil and dark that guy is. But okay, <laughs> maybe we'll save that for another episode. I'm glad he's out. I'm glad he's out of power. But I don't oh, think he'll yeah, be yeah. out of power for long. He's dying to get back his power back. Well, that was the thing too. I was like, since he never got impeached, he can run. He could he could actually technically run for something and have a greater power than he did when he resigned. I can't believe yeah, it's like amazing. Got, right, right. I can't believe that. So she got elected. So oh, and that blew my mind. Went on the Democratic ticket in in New York City, at least. That blew my yeah. mind because I watched those debates since, and I'm like huge on watching it. And like, I really don't think I'm just gonna make up a number. If she was asked 20 questions, would she answer maybe two of them? Oh, like I how could anybody awful, like awful, who actually awful. watched those? Even as a Democrat, would be like, I'm voting for her. She didn't answer anything. Can we talk about John Fetterman? Can we talk about that guy who says that criminal uh, lifers, killers, are like your grandfather and like Morgan Freeman in the <laughs> in the Shawshank Redemption? Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. Excuse me. I mean, that guy can. I mean, oh, really needs some serious rest and rehabilitation. But he's. I wouldn't want to run, run the. Uh, Pennsylvania with a brain injury. But you, it's crazy. The voters voted him in. So did you hear about how Pennsylvania ended up voting for somebody who was dead? 
No, I've never heard that. Yeah, no. I mean, see, that's even a thing that I, I think shows, like, even if it's not like, all right, even if there isn't, like, mass voter fraud, not saying that there is or isn't, but it, I would just think the fact that somebody died a few months prior to the election and that their name still ends up on the ballot is showing that there's something wrong with the voting system, because if it was correct, that dude's name wouldn't end on him. But there was right. somebody who was dead for like a few months prior to the election, <laughs> and I guess just because he was a Democrat and that's what they wanted, they all voted mm -hmm. that, and then they had to redo it because they're like, oh, the guy who's dead actually won. Pennsylvania, that's my home state, is very, <laughs> very like, weird. You just got people it's going in the booth, uh, Democrat, Democrat. Like, it didn't even matter to them. They're, they're just uh -huh. programmed to think that's what you vote for. It's like, yeah. oh, that's wild. And it's interesting because when I get criticism, I, I get I get called far right. <laughs> I was like, anyone who's basically not woke is called far right, totally and right. it's a way to just to just discredit people without really dealing with what they're saying or the arguments they're making. That's a very good point. And I mean, I'm a registered Democrat, but <laughs> you know, I, I I'm not. I, I hate both. I, I hate both parties right now. So. Oh, it's okay. Really That's why I was like, I don't know about next but election. Just because I don't, right? Because I don't agree with a lot of this, a um, lot of the Biden administration's policies. I'm oh, now no. far right, <laughs> so go yep. figure. That's what happens. Yeah. All right. This is about. Uh, we're at an hour now, so I guess uh, this oh, is I, fun with me. I think we've done it. Yeah. Yeah. That was really good, and uh, maybe I'll have you come back on later on uh, to cover that other thing you were talking about, the sentencing of that. I still find this stuff interesting. Like you said, it doesn't get much popularity, but it's very just weird how, uh, I guess to sum it all up, how well Larry Ray, in my opinion, was good at breaking people's minds to do the things he did. That just that interests me in itself, even though it may not have been uh, a bunch of people and broadcasted all over TV and that it was happened on a college campus. is just really weird. So yeah. Weird. It may happen again. I don't know. I, I, I just feel like we haven't really learned much from this mm. this story. And yes, exactly. colleges aren't doing anything to make their students safer. I think it's going to get more dangerous. Yeah. I agree. Uh, do you want to let everybody know where they could find your stuff again? Sure. Um, I'm on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Leave me a, a five-star review, please. On uh, <laughs> Every time anyone doesn't agree with me, I get a terrible... <laughs> Terrible review on Apple Podcasts. Um, I have a Facebook group. Yeah, I was going to mention the discussion where uh, about true crime and uh, true crime stories. I think that's it. I I think I've done it. Oh, and I'm on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. I'm on Twitter a lot. So. Oh, okay. I have to check you. I don't know if yeah. I added you in that day with my Yeah. I'll have to check that out. I, and I'll have all your links, so I'll, I'll check your Twitter link that I probably have already. I'll throw all of those in the bottom. Everybody can uh, check out her links. And, uh, yeah, I highly suggest to check out her group, too. If you're into true crime, go check out our true crime Facebook group. It's pretty Thank cool. you so yeah. much. It's always my pleasure. Dude. Yeah, no, always the love you have you on. You you know, like I said, it's true crime with logic, and it's not, you know, nonsense. And you know, I'm just trying to stick to the facts. You know? Yeah. And that's always interesting enough to me. So, yeah, uh, thank you for coming on again. And like I said, her links will be in the bottom. Everybody go check her stuff out. And also, like, just to give a shout out, I guess, to William Ramsey. He's had you on a bunch of times. Great shows with oh, him. Yeah, that's, that's my buddy. Yeah, that's yeah. how that, that's what got me hooked. And that's how eventually I think I might have just I might have hit you up myself or I asked Ramsey. I can't remember mm -hmm. how I did it, but hearing you on that show, eventually I was like, I got to get her wrong. So go check out all the amazing work she's done on there. And thank you very much again. And until the next one, everybody be well. Later. Mm -hmm.